0: this has been a theme this season for us of trying not necessarily like new things because of course we talk about artists every single week but i feel like we've gotten out of our comfort zone a little bit
1: oh yeah i think so especially with this coming episode or previous episodes where we might not listen to a ton of a certain genre but like we don't want to leave anyone out so It's kind of nice to switch things up too, because then we end up finding new artists that we love, even if it might not be
0: something we would know to look for. Right, and I also feel like a majority of the episodes that we've done up until this point have been exclusively bands and singers.
1: Oh yeah, a huge amount of them I think are bands or singers, or... Nope, I can't think of a whole lot else, honestly. I was trying to think of one, but that's the gist of it. Marching band. We have a marching band.
0: We do have a marching band, but... Maybe we should try switching it up. I think going for just an instrumentalist might be really interesting. What do you think?
1: I think that'd be jazzy.
0: From Mackinac to Motown, from Muskegon to Madonna, you're listening to the Musical Mitten. I'm Maggie.
1: And I'm Bree, coming to you from Olivet College. This is your guide to all things music, all from the state of Michigan.
0: I feel like we've almost missed an opportunity with this show to like not talk about traditional instrumentalists, like just straight up instrumentalists. You know what I mean?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's even weirder when you consider we both have very musical backgrounds.
0: Yeah, we both played in bands at our schools.
1: Yeah, I played trumpet, as I'm sure most people could guess. My secondary is French horn.
0: I played trombone for like four years.
1: I actually did not know that about you until today. Seriously? I didn't. Like, I knew you played, but I didn't know that it was, like, four whole years. Like, for some reason, I thought you were more of a choir slash um, theater kid.
0: No, I was. I was. (laughs) But our middle school band was, I think, fifth grade to eighth grade. Maybe it was only three years. It might have only been three years because I didn't play in eighth grade.
1: Oh, so, like, right before high school.
0: Yeah. Okay. So then I didn't end up doing band in high school. I only did it in middle school. But it's weird. I've been talking about that more recently like it just keeps coming up in casual conversation (laughs) that i play trombone
1: yep i feel that
0: and that's like it's not a thing that people know about me because generally the rest of my music background is choir and theater and (laughs) what you would more regularly hear us talk about on this show because it's the vocal aspect rather than the instrumental and i mean like sure we talk about guitars we talk about drums pretty frequently i feel like we talk about a lot of drummers
1: yeah i was gonna say they come up a lot which is cool i love drummers i think they're underrated
0: i feel like we've missed that opportunity to talk about your band instruments right
1: classical instruments if you will
0: (laughs) which is why we're super excited to finally do that with pepper adams
1: and better yet he's a jazz classic musician so it's right up my favorite like genre of classic stuff
0: Right, and we're talking about the instruments that we've played, so trumpet, trombone. Weirdly enough, he started out with those same two instruments before transferring on to everything else that he played.
1: Yeah, I geeked a bit when I found out. I love finding out that artists play, like, the same instruments as me. I don't know why, but, like, I I don't understand it, but it is the best feeling in the world. The most random best feeling.
0: (laughs) Well, Pepper Adams, or really, his real name was... Park Adams III was born in Highland Park, Michigan on October 8th, 1930. So we just missed his birthday was by a say, couple of weeks. We
1: need to wish him a happy belated.
0: <laughs> but he was just one of those classic musicians back in, you know, the 1950s that was sort of just a part of that big band era of music.
1: I love it so much, especially, and we'll talk probably a bit more about it, but like It was, as you said, like that time period, it was the Great Depression and he had a lot to overcome before even getting there. And I know we'll delve into it, but it just, it makes it even more impressive.
0: Yeah, that's true. And I think that's what makes how he got his instruments more interesting, because of course he was born in Michigan in 1930, and then his parents moved him out to New York very shortly after. So he lived in Rochester, New York for a while, went to school out there, and then that's really where he started playing those instruments. Mm -hmm. And if you look on the Pepper Adams website, which we will get into a little bit more later as to why that's so important, there is a record, like an autobiography that almost feels like you're reading from a journal.
1: It is so interesting. If we didn't hear something that you're looking for or just want to know more, definitely check it out because I genuinely enjoyed reading it. And it's about like, what, 24 pages?
0: 23.
1: Something like that.
0: It's all him. It's all first person. And it documents sort of what he went through throughout his childhood into playing in the 50s, 60s, and how his school had this program where they would give a kid an instrument and they wouldn't teach them how to play it but if they could learn how to play it on their own that's when they would be able to join the school band and that's where he got that trumpet that's where he got the trombone and eventually ended up with the clarinet
1: which is so strange to me i don't want to be that guy but brass is my favorite
0: (laughs) yeah and i feel like there's a really interesting thing there, where he went from two very popular, I would say, brass instruments.
1: Especially popular for what he ends up playing in the future. Like, trumpet and trombone are notorious for jazz music, but to do the clarinet, I think it's a little different, but cool to me.
0: Yeah, but I think it sort of worked out, because clarinet is, of course, a reed instrument. Yeah, so
1: it transitions well.
0: (laughs) Transitions well to a baritone saxophone, which, that wasn't one of the instruments that he got from his school in New York. That sort of became more of a thing when he moved back to Michigan when he was a teenager.
1: But we're getting ahead, so we'll get there, I promise. We will
0: come (laughs) back to that. But so he started with trumpet, moved to trombone, transitioned to clarinet, and, you know, just kept playing, kept playing, kept playing. At 14, he was playing gigs and bars and was like actually making money off of that.
1: Yeah, I remember reading in that biography specifically that his mom wasn't super thrilled about the idea, I mean, understandably, of her 14-year-old playing late nights like up till two in the morning or, you know, maybe even four, but it was to remind you guys like that Great Depression era and I think at that point his dad had already passed so um, they really needed the extra income and she was very happy that he was excited and willing to help in whatever way he could and it was a way that excited him so I don't know I just thought it was cool but also crazy that he's 14 out late and doing all this stuff but mostly to provide for his family.
0: Right. And of course, that's that post Great Depression. They're just trying to get back up on their feet, trying to get a little bit left in savings just so that they can move back to Michigan eventually. And that did end up working out for them. But I think that this is really interesting because he was 14 playing in bars mm-hmm. in New York and then moved back to Michigan at 16.
1: Oh, yep. I already know.
0: <laughs> Legally, you could not play in a bar if you were under the age of 21.
1: You couldn't even be in the bar.
0: No. Yeah. It didn't matter whether or not you were drinking. It didn't matter anything. If you were working there, you could not be in a bar. You could not play in a bar if you were under the age of 21.
1: So then this new concept of bars but no drinking <laughs> came about in Michigan and were made popular. And that's where he would find himself playing instead.
0: Later on, as he you know got older, still playing, still trying to make money from his music, did end up going to college too. Mm, mm-hmm. So, Wayne State wasn't called Wayne State at the time, but it was called, it was just called Wayne University. And then, would eventually change its name years later. But, you know, he was able to go to school, ended up developing an interest in the film industry, which I think is really interesting. And then, of course, the Korean War happens around that same time period. Yeah
1: he decides to serve but he also plays in the band for I think he said a couple of months I can't remember the exact number but a couple months before he's deployed like frontline
0: and then he only served on the frontline for roughly nine months it was less than a year I know that for sure yep and then you know came back to the states and the GI bill was a thing he would have been able to go back to college funnily enough to pursue a journalism track
1: I think that is my favorite part of this whole story guys (laughs) Because I also had something totally different bring me into the journalism life.
0: (laughs) It's inevitable. You just have to. But by that point, you know, he hadn't played in so long that he just started doing it again.
1: I think he mentioned it as kind of like not necessarily a way of coping because he doesn't in the autobiography describe it being like that traumatic for him. But he definitely used it as an outlet for when he got back because like you said, it was so foreign to him for so long that it was just... Nice and refreshing to pick back up where he left off.
0: And of course, by this point, he was playing the baritone saxophone.
1: Ah, my favorite!
0: <laughs> that was what he picked up when he came back to Michigan. He got this baritone saxophone, which he played with somebody who played a baritone saxophone in New York. Loved the instrument, came back here, and then picked it up. And that was, like, really where his talent shined, I feel like.
1: Oh, absolutely. Like, reeded instruments are conveniently flexible like if you know one you can tend to pick up the other ones a little bit easier but I feel like he really hit his stride when he decided to make that switch and that's when things started to go up for him.
0: Oh yeah because that's not something that would have happened had he stuck with brass like playing trombone versus (laughs) playing trumpet very different.
1: It's so popular that there are easily too many people (laughs) You could easily find another player. And it's unfortunate because I am, we are brass players. So we don't want to believe it, but it's true. Like there's, there's a lot of us out there.
0: Yeah. But it's also that there's not as much of like an exchange. Like you're not going to be able to just pick those two up interchangeably.
1: Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) I've never been able to, I mean, French horn, like I said, was my secondary. So it was like the closest I got, but even then the valves are just, they're different. That's definitely different.
0: Yeah. No. And having been a trombone player, Like, I can picture slide positions in my head. Oh, yeah. Which has been weird. It's been almost a decade since (laughs) I picked up the instrument. And, like, I still remember the B-flat position. I still remember C. Why am I doing this with my hands?
1: (laughs) I'm, like, watching very intensely right now, guys. It's amazing. I wish you could see it.
0: I'm literally, as we're talking, I'm, like, actually, like, I'm remembering. So I'm, like, just doing it with my hands. But I remember B-flat, I remember A, and I remember C. Like, very specifically there are a few others that I like, I don't remember like the names of the notes, but like I remember where the instrument was supposed to be positioned. If you handed me a trumpet, I would have no idea what to do.
1: And vice versa, though. I've only played valved instruments my entire music career, so I have no idea how trombone even works. I'm like, how do you know where the slide goes? Do you just guesstimate what happens if you're an inch off? Like, it's a whole different sound, guys. (laughs)
0: it's very precise actually but those aren't interchangeable the way that reed instruments are so like clarinet saxophone all the different kinds of saxophones where they have a tenor or a bass or a and so he was really just able to pick that up and really go somewhere with it and was able to play with so many people as a result i've got dizzy gillespie john Train, benny goodman charles mingus then thad jones and mel lewis big band era, which would have been the, the mid-60s to the late 70s and then there was the quartet with donald bird and he played with donald bird like previously.
1: Holy cow. Do you want to list all those? <laughs> <laughs> I liked our back and forth, but I think you've got the better list. Mine is like I mean, to be fair, it is a little before our time, so I'm not gonna have like a whole lot of knowledge on those other bands he played with.
0: <laughs> I used to listen to John Coltrane. Um,
1: I feel uncultured now.
0: I well I know I used to fall asleep to it. Like that was a thing. Like huh. I really like big band classical music.
1: I love that for you. Like, I can actually picture that. Whereas I didn't really get into it until I was in middle school and playing in it. And then I was like, this is everything. And like that feeling of being inside, like, okay, this is a feeling band players get. But like, when you listen to music, it feels great. Like, don't get me wrong. But when you play and the music's around you and you're contributing to the sound, it's a whole other level. And I miss that feeling so much.
0: Yeah, same. But I, when I got into band, I remember like, people showing me brass players, like, the really popular (laughs) ones. Like, I remember, like, very specifically, Dizzy Gillespie and Drama Majority. Oh. And seeing, like, these videos of them, seeing what they were doing and figuring out that it's going to be a very niche musical person reference, but low brass are not necessarily the altos of the band world. Yeah. Like, they're not just... The ones that get pushed to the back to be the base for everybody else to build on.
1: No, a lot of times, baritone especially, and I think trombone, I haven't played so I don't know for sure, will get like the melody parts and everybody else plays around them. And I love that. Like superstition on baritone, best thing in the world.
0: Heck yeah. But like I think we kind of characterize the the flutes and the trumpets as like your main character instruments like the instruments that are going to get to shine and see that spotlight whereas there's actually a ton of character specifically with trombone and saxophone because they're just these instruments that they provide a really rich deep sound
1: i love them so much i've been very fortunate to be a trumpet player because people do think that we're the center of attention but the baritones and the trombones and like all of those people and the saxophones will sit like behind me and I get to like hear them directly into the back of my ears and it's like my favorite thing.
0: This is your Points
1: to the Mitten trivia question of the week.
0: Last week we asked what Native American tribe does Pat Deneau belong to?
1: If you were listening, he told us the answer.
0: Which is the Sioux tribe of Chippewa Indians in the Upper Peninsula.
1: This week's question relates a bit to the rest of our episode.
0: Speaking of traditional band instruments, which Michigan artist recently played James Madison's Crystal Flute? If you think you know the answer, add us on Twitter at The and we'll be back next week with the answer and a shout out for who got it right. You've been listening to The Musical Mitten. I'm Maggie.
1: And I'm Bree. If you've been with us since the beginning, you know that we started as a radio show on WOCR 89.1 The One, Olivet College.
0: Our goal when we started was to share all of the incredible talent from across the state of Michigan, past and present.
1: Now we've been able to talk to artists from all over the state and share their stories with you.
0: If you have any suggestions for who we talk about or to in the future, fill out the form on our website, themusicalmitten.com.
1: Thank you so much for tuning in. Sorry, I could geek out of a band all day. Like, that's easy. <laughs> no,
0: like, I'm totally okay with that. Like, that's so fine. Because, like, every band that he was a part of needed those balances of instruments, oh, yeah. right? Because that's just how, that's how bands work. It's how big band era music worked was there needed to be that balance there needed to be the going back and forth between the trumpets and the trombones and the saxophones and the clarinets and everything else that ultimately went into this band and brought the sound together to become that characteristic sound that it was and pepper adams was a huge part of that
1: for a lot of bands too and i don't think he really cared which band he ended up being a part of so long as it was a big band that like He could really make an impact on
0: i feel like that's what's nice about it too is like as long as you have a band it doesn't matter who you're playing with like as long as you have a band you have a place
1: exactly a home
0: (laughs) and he was humble about it oh absolutely
1: i don't like i only got to see a tiny bit of interviews because it's not like he did a ton but he never came off as garish at all
0: no and in his autobiography he kind of talks about like he was always looked down upon Almost, And I feel like now, like after he's passed on, we're finally able to appreciate what he did in his time. And it's sort of like that artist stereotype, like you're not being appreciated in your time but still has this impact that has very clearly lasted to this day and is still appreciated. Again, going back to the Pepper Adams website, there are like roundtable discussions. There was one just last month and I didn't get a chance to watch through it because it was over two hours long.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: And like, that's pretty consistent. Like people are passionate about his work
1: oh my gosh I love that first off and to think that I hadn't even really heard of him much until our podcast which is my favorite part is learning other people's stories which we always say but like there are so many artists out there who do things that I absolutely love that I don't even know exist and then I get to learn all about them and really delve into their music and oh my goodness how have I been living without for this long
0: (laughs) and I feel like what's interesting about that too is you have to have those historians who pick up on that Who find those stories. And the person who put together the Pepper Adams website.
1: They're fantastic.
0: They have my respect. There's so much material available here. And like to the point where in like two weeks, I could not get through the amount of material that is on this website. I was
1: gonna say, like, I feel like we're referencing it a lot, and normally we have, like, a huge array of different sources and materials to go through, but this one was so thorough. It had so much that I couldn't bring myself to want to look at anything else either because it just, ah, I don't know.
0: Again, like you said, very few outside sources that I had to go to because it is genuinely so thorough. But I did find a bit about this historian that... Put together this website, and I don't really know if historian's is the right word, but a little bit about the man who put together this website, who is a Pepper Adams expert. His name is Gary Carner, and he just he managed to put together this website, was writing the biography, like all the stuff, and actually had the opportunity to spend some time with Pepper Adams before he passed, like in the last few years of his life.
1: That's super impressive.
0: And you can find a little bit more of this. There is an article on TMC News that was written in about 2011 that documents this. But yeah, he put together this, frankly, impressive website that, I don't know, it's incredible.
1: (laughs) I definitely don't think I could do the same. But if I don't make it in media production for whatever reason, I'm taking up his idea and just studying whatever artist I'm in love with for the rest of my life and committing myself to making the world's greatest website tool thing for people to continue the stories and legacies.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Because I'm not like very, I'm passionate about history, especially history for music, obviously, but I'm bad with dates. I'm not normally like one to just go search it, but I easily go down the rabbit hole when it comes to my favorite musicians and stuff. And I can really appreciate all of the work he must have poured into creating this.
0: Oh, yeah, because he has like people discussing Pepper Adams, the autobiography is available there, discography, rare performances, interviews and transcriptions, arrangements, compositions, chronology, just all of him talking about the different artists that he got to work with and... All of this important information from all the important dates, interviews, like I said, those those roundtable discussions are available for links there. And there's even like a specific section dedicated to his quartet with Donald Byrd. Honestly, we don't even have time to get through everything on this website, but I feel like we've sort of hit the highlights a bit as for what he did with other people.
1: Oh, yeah. He worked. So many bands, like, honestly, I feel
0: like it'd be a whole other episode just to talk about them. Right, but we're really just talking about him.
1: Yeah, so maybe we could talk about his move into his solo career, which he started about 1977, but he ended up going on a two-month European tour in 78.
0: That would have been right about the end of that Thad Jones, Mel Lewis, big band era that started after the quartet. So, yeah, that definitely lines up timeline-wise, but
1: throughout that tour, he ended up playing with people like Mingus, Baker, and I think Hampton, which were at the time other really big name bands, which of course I didn't recognize right away, but <laughs> they definitely were.
0: I recognized a few of the names for sure.
1: I recognized Mingus, Yeah, but the other two I was a little foggy
0: on, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, he was able to work with them, which is really interesting, and really was able to branch out there near the end of his career and
1: I feel bad because it was also around this time that his like tried and true mouthpiece slash baritone instrument baritone saxophone decided to kind of give out I don't think he like retired it retired it but he retired it from his performances and he had to replace it after 32 years like could you imagine
0: he must have taken fantastic care of that instrument and I think There is a bit more on the history of the instrument, which is really fascinating because he had a baritone saxophone and then he ended up exchanging it for a different, better one, like, very shortly after he got it. And if that is the same instrument that he kept for those 30-some years, that's genuinely impressive. The amount of care you'd have to put into it through traveling, through playing, through everything.
1: Washing the instrument alone is a whole process. Like, it's hard for brass. I can only imagine what it's like for reed instruments. Oh. Yeah, I don't miss it. <laughs> that's the one thing I don't
0: miss. Oh God, cleaning your instrument is so difficult, and with all Ugh. those keys.
1: Yeah, yeah. Imagine trying to like get under there. I don't even know. Like I said, do they have little tools for cleaning under the keys? I don't.
0: They have to. They would have to,
1: unless you take it into a professional, which costs money out of pocket. So either way, like there is some level of huge commitment there.
0: Yeah. So that's just genuinely impressive.
1: Unfortunately, despite all of the amazing contributions he had made to other bands and despite being able to tour for himself in December of 1983, he sustained a massive leg injury when I think it was his car wasn't in park and it rolled into his leg and pinched it in between the car and a garage. Yeah, it was pretty intense.
0: That's a new fear.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I know, I read it and I was just like... Okay, now I'm going to be paranoid about whether or not my parking brake is on from here on out. But despite the injury, he was still able to play again. He rehabilitated his leg and he ended up walking. And
0: so it
1: was actually pretty impressive. He decided to get out of the wheelchair, perform
0: more. Unfortunately, that didn't last Mm -hmm. because he was diagnosed with cancer in, I believe, 1984. And he had lung cancer because he was a bit of a smoker and he unfortunately had to suffer with that for just over a year it was 18 months and ended up having like a collapsed lung and and just ended up passing away due to the complications from all of that in 1986 his last performance was at a music festival actually jazz fest montreal in july of 1986 there is a archived montreal gazette obituary from after he passed the day after he passed actually which was september 10th 1986 so this is from september 11th that the montreal gazette wrote this really touching obituary especially because the last concert that he played last performance that he had done was there and so this has been just over two months from the time that he did his last performance to the time that he passed
1: which is kind of impressive if you think about it like to be diagnosed with cancer and like still struggling with it on top of you know coming back from his leg like, injury to still be performing that late like holy cow <laughs> some days i can't even get out of bed like he's a legend
0: the article says that he was always very dignified about what he was going through which i think just says so much about him says so much about the way that he carried himself and just how he was as an instrument which is why it was so unfortunate the circumstances that he went through and why he only passed away at the age of 55 like that's young
1: yeah like it's crazy to think about but he had a hand in like so many different types of music and so many different bands that I think his legacy will carry on to this day I mean we're still talking about it and I have a new favorite jazz musician so
0: Yeah, and even the New York Times has an archived obituary from him as well. Talks a bit more about it and how he was survived by his wife. And he wrote 29 compositions that were recorded at that time. And he really just lived a fascinating life.
1: This has been The Musical min, where we bring you all things music from Michigan. Check out our Instagram and Twitter at The Musical MI for any announcements, events, and more.
0: All of our past episodes, radio show, and podcast are on our website at themusicalmitten.com. Again, that's T-H-E-M-U-S-I-C-A-L-M-I-T-T-E-N dot C-O-M. Check for updates in all of those places or keep listening in for weekly episodes. We'll be back next week.